Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that this week is wondering whether we have done something a little bit illegal in the last week. Anyway, my name is Tosin, I am <laughs> I am your host, I'm based up in Coventry in the Midlands, and joining me on the Isle of Wight are Sharon. Hello. And Sean. Hiya. Yes, and you're joining us in a week in which the cinema part of Netflix vs. Cinema is well and truly back. So... Um, what we usually do on this show is that we go to the cinema, we see three films, usually three films. We go, we stay at home, we see three things at home on Netflix and various streaming platforms. We rate them all out of five and then we come up to the end and we say, where has our money been better spent this week? Which one gave us more bang for our buck? And after last week in which we were worried that that would be it, we would not be allowed back in cinemas, that cinemas were going to get shut down because of tightening lockdown restrictions. Um, and also nobody releasing any new films because of Tenet. This week, all of a sudden, there's there's quite a few new films. It almost feels like a normal cinema week. As when did you guys say that? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. There have been like one release every fortnight or so. Um, we suddenly had like three or four brand new films. Mm, I know. Uh, so it was just like, oh, there's something to not, choose from. Yeah, it's quite interesting though because they're not your like your big blockbusters, are they? They're not like no. your your Hollywood things. They're very much uh, small, independent independent type films yeah because i think yeah. I, th- I think people have been keeping an eye they've been keeping an eye on um on the uh the takings for tenor to see what it's like so apparently tennis was always going to be a guinea pig it was always going to be put it out there the first canary down the mine and figure out how it goes and if it makes loads of money then everyone is going to go all gung ho and start releasing stuff and apparently tenants takings have been down internationally it's doing quite well but in america which is apparently the only place that matters in, in america apparently they're they're lower than what they expected them to be so uh, so there's a few people who are there's a few big movies which are pushing themselves back because i think they think if they spend so much money they need so many people to see it in a certain amount of time yeah, for them yeah. to make their money back yeah. but I, think, I think the smaller film this might be the age for the smaller film because they don't spend that much money on it. They don't have to have that many people seats in the cinema to make their money back. And yeah. to be honest with you, I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I was reading an article the other day about um, the biggest cinema failures. And they describe the film as a failure. As obviously, it doesn't, its box office doesn't equate to its production cost plus its, it's publicity mo- costs. Yeah, yeah. And so a, pub, a film could cost £100 million to make. Uh, but they may also spend a hundred million pounds on publicity, so yeah. they can eat their their publicity budget can equal its production costs. So you then have a two hundred million pound film, and so to to make money, they have to then make two hundred and fifty plus yeah. million pounds to make it worth its while. And so they had all this this list of films basically where they'd made the biggest losses from anything from like a few like fifty million is like a small loss to a colossal you know. 300 million dollars losses nearly bankrupt there's 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 sort of some films that are bankrupted didn't they i mean heaven's gate yeah heaven's gate was one um what was the um there's the the pirate one that is quite notorious cutthroat island cutthroat island Island, yeah Yeah. that was like a big flop and Uh, i think way back in mars i think was a recent one yeah it was yeah that was was 200 million loss which is a which is some of them yeah but there's some films i thought 
I didn't think they were that bad. And I thought they did quite well. And when you look at the box office, they did take, you know, £100 million pounds or $100 million, whatever. They did make money, but they just didn't make enough money. <laughs> yeah, they, they just spent a lot, on, a no. lot of it on it. Sean, I think you were going to say yeah. something. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there was, like, um, there used to be a film producer called Samuel Bronstein, and he used to do films like, um, uh, like, real sword and sandal epics, you know, like Ben-Hur and all those. Yeah. And and the last the last film he made was a film called The Fall of the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. And yes, I know it, yeah. Totally, totally, yeah, and it totally, totally bombed, and, and it more or less, it, well, it bankrupted him because he put so much money into it, you know. It's a very long about, film, though, isn't it? It's about 60s, yeah, huge film, early 60s film. But, um, yeah, Samuel Bronston, famous for, for sword and sandal epics, and that sort of killed it. That fall, The fall of the Roman Empire killed it. But, yeah, mm. I've seen it a couple of times. And I've it is seen a bit, it, yeah. yeah. It's long, it's, but I quite liked it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind it too much, although I must say, like, sometimes you do know. It's funny, sort of, some films age, because you see with, like, when the horses are galloping, you can sort of see it's not like real ground it's obviously there's there's like because it it's obviously like a carpet of sand or something and it's sort of yeah. the, the, you know as the horses go you can see it's certainly yeah you know it's obviously studio obviously done in a studio a lot of it you know um, yeah, yeah. Sure, Sean's thing of watching the background and going, that isn't real. That's a wobbly cardboard wall. <laughs> yeah, that's what I found about. That's what that's what I really, really hated about the um, Spider-Man. Was it three? The one with Electro? The one with oh, um, James the, that, that was the Amazing Spider-Man 2. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. You see, now, in, when it was in Times Square, to me, that whole thing looked like a set, like a film set. I just didn't could not believe that that was Times Square because all this stuff was falling and getting... Um, destroyed and yet I was just thinking oh that just looks like a frame a wooden frame with you know a bit of uh, yeah. bit of, so, sort of backing so, on it yeah. so while Sean was looking at the rubbish in the background I was watching that film looking at the rubbish in the foreground I was distracted and I didn't bother watching it at all <laughs> <laughs> you did miss a lot Okay, so okay, we'll get into films now. We'll get into films this week, and um, so I mentioned that we we might have, may or may not have done something illegal. So Sean managed to actually catch Mulan this week, which obviously Mulan is one of those films that we're talking about that is they spent a lot of money on it, and they seem to think we're not going to recoup this in the cinemas. So it has not been allowed to go to cinemas, and it has gone in most well. I think it's going to be in cinemas in some areas of the world, but definitely in America and here, it's on Disney+. Plus. That's the only way we can see it. And I know a friend, um, friend of uh, the show, friend of the show, Yatish, was he? Yeah, Yatish, he, he got in touch with me and he was like, have you seen Mulan yet? Because he's like a big martial arts guy. So he was comparing it to all these different, like, you know, martial arts movies and all that kind of stuff. And um, um, I was like, oh, no, I haven't seen it because um, I do have Disney+. Plus. Well, my brother has Disney+, Plus and I, want, and I can watch watch it over at his place yes i only ever watch disney plus when i go to my brother's house yeah uh, <laughs> and, and um uh, but uh, so i asked him about that he was like you know what this thing is going to be it's going to be on normal disney like later on in november and disney have enough money i refuse to give them t- an extra 20 pounds <laughs> which i'm like i can totally understand so we will probably talk a little bit about Wula next week or, or, or once we once we figured out like you know what is this Sean saw? <laughs> we'll talk. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more next week. Um, but this week, cinemas. As I said, we had we actually had a selection. We had we managed to see three films in the cinema, and there were more that we could have seen if we if if it had come up if it had come up. So 
I think first things first. Um, hang on, there was something we were saying before we were recording. Did you? Did one of you say something? That I said no. Wait, save it for the recording when we we're talking about what films. Yes, there was or... a film that was released that I looked at and went, "Hell no." Uh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> that was it. Cheryl, would you like to tell us what this film was and why? Yeah, there was a film that was released called after we collide or after we collided i'm not sure what the tense is and it is a sequel to a film called after yes. that i reviewed for the show uh, last year maybe the year before um as a netflix film and i absolutely hated it <laughs> <laughs> I, before the the horror show that was rambo last blood that was my worst like my lowest rated film that i've ever reviewed I, I do remember. I do remember. It was okay. So, so I'm looking at our records. There was a show that we recorded on the 17th, 17th of what seven? 17th of uh, that's July. 17th July. of July in 2019. And up until that point, Sharon was like, you know, the nice, like you know, smiley one, the optimistic one. Is like, oh, they, tried, <laughs> they made a film. Let's give them a oh, let's give them a film so for making a film. Yes, well done. Uh, yeah, and every now and then we. Yes, the, each one of us has a film that just makes us go no, <laughs> and this was Sharon's no. Yeah. So you want to even listen? Yeah, to that. before there was Rambo, there was after. this after. After. And the reason I detested it so much was it's basically a film that that entirely defines this young woman by her relationship to her boyfriend after was like after this relationship so the fact that she was in university that she'd achieved a lot that she had ambitions that she had a life of a, an identity suddenly she's reduced to life was like oh before this boyfriend after this boyfriend and it was just turgid rubbish so i i was not going to watch after we collide or did because I just think <laughs> I, I am not going to waste any more of my time on her lamenting about this drippy boy that she fancied when she was a teenager. It was just like, no, it's I'm, no, it's not going to happen. Okay, uh, really, so, Sharon, Sharon is like really, really serious. You can see this is we don't see okay. often Sharon like this. If if you if you're only listening, if you're only listening to the audio version of this podcast, because now we started releasing the video version on, on Facebook as well. If you listen to the audio version of this podcast, uh, I'm not sure which you would. I will, like, I, I'm not sure which one of these I'm finding more hilarious. Either the look <laughs> of absolute just anger and disgust on Sharon's face. Or the look of delight on Sean's face <laughs> and the look of anger on Sharon's face. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure just, which no, one. No, no, no. It's okay. just like, but does it, do they seriously intend to like put back, not sort of feminism, because I don't think it has that much value that it would, could challenge anything, but it was just like for a generation of girls who want to watch films about themselves, about their generation, it's like, is this the best you can do? That you're a, you, you are, as a woman, defined by a failed relationship no get over it and don't ever watch that film <laughs> yeah. okay now i i could sit down and listen to sharon complain about after for an hour easy <laughs> i could i could totally do that but we should probably go into some films we did watch this week so so the films i didn't realize that was a sequel i did i, I but i want to go see it now and just come back and join sharon on her on her angry perch <laughs> <laughs> so 
first up this week, we are going to talk about Bill and Ted face the music. So this is a uh, uh, this is as you can tell, it's a thr- it's a sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So they a, a film in which we meet Bill and De- Ted years later. That's Kenya Reeves and Alex Winter, and this time they're middle aged. They have children themselves, and it's all about catching up with them later in life. So Sharon, you and I both saw this. Is there anything that you yes. want to say a little bit about the about the setup of Bill and Ted's uh, Bill and Ted face the music? Yeah, well, this if you anyone who knows the Bill and Ted story, basically their destiny as a wild stallions, whatever they have to, um, <laughs> is that their destiny is that they are going to unite the world and they are going to save the world by writing the perfect pop song, a bit like Tenacious D in their their famous music video of the greatest rock song in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tribute. They have their yeah, tribute. That's it. Their yeah, their destiny is to write this, 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 have this moment, this write this song, and it's twenty five years later, and they still haven't written it, <laughs> and time is running out, and they have been told, look, you've got like two hours, you've got to write this this song in the next two hours, or reality as we know it will implode upon itself, and you know we're all doomed, <laughs> <laughs> and so they then set out on this mission as only Bill and Ted can, uh, to see if they can get this song they they think if we just go skip far enough into the future surely you know we'll have written it by then and we can then just take the completed song and then come back and yeah. release it in these yeah. complicated like timelines that they do and so you just see them on a series of adventures where they try to go forward in time meanwhile their daughters who are sort of aware of what's going on decide hey what if we help our fathers by getting the greatest rock band in the world so they go back in time to get some of the key p- people in musical history. Yeah. And so you have got these sort of colliding timelines and then they go to hell and they come back again and they go yeah. to the future. Yes, uh, it's Bill and Ted. And, and it, it is, it is. And it's funny that, you know, that you say that your summary is that, well, it's Bill and Ted. Because I feel th- this is a kind of film that um, I know, personally speaking, I was never as... Uh, ooh, what's the word? I was never as sort of like reverential of the first two Bill and Ted movies as a lot of people are. I was never like, oh my god, it's so good, it's the best amazing thing. I, that was that was never me. Um, um, I I sort of appreciated them and all that kind of stuff. I, for ages, I used to think, okay, well, that's Ken Reeves' best performance because I think he might just be playing himself. So <laughs> it's and so that was, that was my thing with, with Bill and Ted. And so coming to this film, I feel like uh, it has a lot. I had to feel like this film has a lot for. Bill and Ted fans so people who love the first two because this film is and makes no bones about it it is it's not trying to do anything new it is just a massive nostalgia trip it's kind of like let's go hang out with these guys who you probably love for two hours let's go hang out with them let's go see what so the plot of the film is almost like there's two plots there's the there's there's their daughters going out going let's help her dads by um, by going around the world or going through time and picking up the most amazing musicians to help them ra- tell them record this song greatest song ever so they go to the 60s and find Jimi hendrix they go to the 20s and they find um louis armstrong they go to vienna and find mozart they go to so they go around the world they go to china they go even further back and they go get like you know the best drummer ever or the person who invented drumming from like a, a north african tribe and so they and that bit is very much this the plot of the first film that's that's yeah. very much the plot of the first one going through trying to get all these historical figures for your for the greatest history project ever 
and then the other bit of Bill and Ted going through time and meeting loads of alternate versions of themselves because they're like, have you written the song yet? No. Have you written the song yet? We've got to go further forward in time. Have you written the song now? <laughs> that bit is very much the, it's the second film. And like, obviously they go to hell, which is very much the second film. But, so there is a rehash of a lot of the things that they have already done before in Bill and Ted. Which, which I think some people will be okay with. I mean, I was I was sitting out there not knowing, not being so like, not being a massive Bill and Ted fan of the first two. I was like, going, okay, I see what they're doing here. Okay, cool, no problem. And I didn't mind it. I didn't mind that they were doing a rehash because, quite frankly, I think you could see Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter just loving. Yeah, just having doing- a ball. Yeah, just just having a ball, doing it again. I I didn't mind it. It the film was exactly what I expected it to be. It was a middle of the road three out of five. It was nothing particularly uh, like you know world beating. It was it was exactly what I expected it to be. I mean, there was great there was great fun seeing William Sadler back as death. <laughs> I think William Sadler as death <laughs> is is brilliant. And I have to say, when it comes to performances in this film, I have to give props because obviously you have they have daughters. And there's the whole thing where Ted has named his daughter Wilhelmina, Bill. so Billy, yeah. and Bill has named his daughter Thea, so Theodora. Theodora. So they've, na- they've named their daughters after each other. So, and Bridget Lundy Payne, who plays Billy, so Ted's daughter, she is brilliant. She's pretty much doing a Keanu Reeves impression for the entire film. And not, and not, not the voice or anything, but the mannerisms, everything like that. I'm like, oh my, she is nailing, absolutely nailing Keanu Reeves. It is actually, it, it was a sight to behold, quite frankly, because the way she was going, oh yeah, oh, what, yeah, what, what, Uncle Bill? And I was just like, good Lord, she's nailing him. She is, she is absolutely, uh, Samara Weaving as, as Thea, I don't think, uh, she comes across a bit more like, you know, your typical, uh, airhead valley girl wouldn't be out of place and clueless yeah. that kind of stuff so i didn't think it wasn't it was because i know samara weaving i mean i love her i mean sean remember her in oh what's the name of that uh ready or not oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah ready yeah, or not yep. yeah yeah she's so i i think she's i think samara weaving is brilliant but she uh, in this I, I feel like there isn't much to that character but the the billy character was it no let's see so yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. So the Billy, so the Billy character. I, I thought that it, it gets confusing. It yeah. gets confusing. Uh, I, 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 I think she conf- nailed yep. nailed Keanu Reeves. Yes, I have a confession to make. I haven't really seen the Bill and Ted films. I'm not surprised. Never, never, never seen <laughs> yeah. them, so I'm not. I'm not invested in it. So it's not like something yeah. I would rush to go and see. I mean, I probably would see it just for something to see, but um, it's not really. I, I just. I, I, I mean, I'm aware of them, and I'm you know the bits like the wild stallions and death and all that, but I've never actually, I've never actually seen them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all through. I, I think yeah, I'm more, I'm more conversant with the second one, with the bogus journey than excellent adventure. So I know I'm, excellent uh, adventure better. That's the one I've seen several times, and I've only seen I think bogus journey once. Uh, all right, so I mean, somebody who we interviewed on this show, Karen Bagshaw, she was one of our interviews during the lockdown period. Um, she said that this was her film that she was most looking forward to seeing back in cinema. So, as someone who is really, really au fait with the first Bill and Ted movie, Sharon, what did you think? Yes, I liked it. I mean, for me, I, I was it was all about Bill and Ted for me, um, not so much about the two daughters. I thought that was an interesting sideline, but it was it felt a little bit like it was padding. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. really did enjoy seeing the different sort of incarnations of. Of yeah, Bill and Ted that, as, that is as, funny. They, as they go 
forward. And oh, that, that yeah, is funny, yeah. There's certain reveal moments where, you, where it's just, yeah, it's just funny. Uh, so, yeah, that, that worked for me in, in terms of that nostalgic, you know, going back to my youth when Bill and Ted was first out. So, yeah, I thought that was fun. But, yeah, I was less in, interested in, in the two girls. Though, yeah, they did their, they did their, their, their roles well. Uh, but it was nice to see that they got a lot of the original cast left, the ones that are still alive, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they yeah. had like Bill's dad. They had the babysitter that has married everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they <laughs> had, yeah, the, a lot of some of the, the time traveler people. So they got as many people back as they possibly could have. So I just thought that was, you know, it was a, a ride as far as that was concerned. Yes, yeah. Um... Oh, and uh, it and also the way Bill and Ted movies tend to be, they they are silly, 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 silly for most of the runtime. Then right at the end, they come together with this philosophical point that they leave you with, and they go, "Yeah, be excellent," and then they go and then they go off. So how how many stars? I would give it a three star still. I think yes, it's more for the fans of the Bill and Ted world than the casual observer. You could watch it and enjoy it because you could. You know, it's not a complicated story. <laughs> yeah. So, but I would still give it a three. I think yeah, it's fun, it's entertaining, but yes, it doesn't uh, doesn't stretch you more than than that. Yeah, and um, talking about bringing the cast back, you know, Bill and Ted's wives, the princesses, who yes. were never were never a big part of the story, but they did recast them with more recognizable actresses. They did they did recast them and. There's a bit of me that's wondering why, uh, and I. Uh, anyway, it, it's it, essentially you know how you went off on one about, uh, and, and you don't particularly go off on one often about women's issues and women being portrayed in film, unless it's after. No. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's after, then you really go. No, this is the Nadir. Oh, yeah. There was a there was a bit of this. I was thinking, why didn't they bring them back? Is it? Well, be, they look could. a bit too middle-aged Uh-oh, yes, yes. Aged. That, that's, that's what I was thinking I was like have they they haven't yeah. been in the pub sp- spotlight have they not remained princess shaped in in in, yeah. in some inverted commas so I was like ooh it's a, it's a thorny one but uh, yes, see more about that the biggest sin that a female actress can commit is getting older isn't it and yep. looking it it's fine yeah. if you get older and then you work the gym twice a week and you you know you or you, you, or you know, Bridget you do, Fonda you it the work and, in. Or you yeah. you Bridget Fonda in and spend twenty thousand pounds on on uh, plastic surgery, yeah. which she yeah. actually attributes with um, with prolonging her career career another twenty years. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's probably true. I mean, yeah. when but then Jane was the she was like the the figurehead of you know go for the burn and work out to stay young, and yet it, it didn't actually uh, work for her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, cool. But so you know, age does catch up. So yes, maybe that was a little bit of a. Hmm. It, it it was a little bit. I was like, oh, they they don't look princess shape. They don't look princessy anymore. Uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, oh, we'll see. I'll I'll have to go do some research. But now, uh, okay, that's cinema kicking off, and now we're going to go over to home Netflix. And this is a film that Sean, you said you missed when it first came out in the cinema the first time, and you yeah. managed to catch it up this time. And this is Black Death. Black Death. Yeah. This is this was. Um. I saw I saw this on Netflix. As I say, it must have had a similar. Uh. uh not a very wide cinema release because i would i think i would have recognized this but basically um black death is a story of the, the black death i guess the plague and it's it's uh, it's the the sort of group of mercenaries there's this this village where the plague hasn't hit yet and so they have to go on a 
on a quest but they need a they need a uh, like a guide so there's this monk that that played by Eddie Redmayne um oh yeah all the normal characters are, anyway so this group of mercenaries they go to this this village that hasn't been affected by the plague so yeah. the first part of the movie is uh, uh they're sort of it's, I guess it's med thir- 13 1350s 1360s something like that 1300s yeah. but they're marching yeah, through 1345 yeah I thought it was, I thought it must have been round about that so they march through and there's some really really great scenes about about you know you can imagine the black death there's pestilence there's people being carried out there's there's people with the masks it's all very uh, very nasty <laughs> it's all there's very now <laughs> it's all very now yes yeah. it's all very now and talking about now what's really funny the leader of the mercenaries is good old Sean Bean. Now, Sean Bean in this looks just like he's come out of Boromir. <laughs> he's got the yeah. same sort of gear yeah. as Boromir. Looks totally the same. And the mercenaries that are with him, they're, I, I think it's quite a good little map because they're not like good lookers like, you know, like um, Aragorn like, and all them. They're, 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 oh, yeah. they're pretty tough characters, but they're not particularly horrible characters either. They're not particularly ugly. And there's a few good fight scenes in it, and then they 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 you know they get to the village and there's like a I guess you call her a witch, so they 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 get sort of captured and and also anyway that's basically adventure and then I won't there's there's a, there's a good twist at the end because Sharon right. Sharon you've seen it yeah, so if you remember it. the twist so yeah, yeah. yeah but um yeah yeah I to me this was a um I don't know I I don't know what I could think about this film because it started off really really good. I had a few issues with it. I think that when they would have gone into the village, they would have been a bit more on their guard than what they were. To, yeah. to me, you know, they were they'd gone there for a specific purpose to find out what was going on, and yet they sort of were in the village. They were taking part, and to me, I don't think they'd have let their guard down quite so much as they did. So, but it's it's, it's a pretty solid film. Um, there's a few good action scenes, and I think it's it's very more Lord of the Ring Rings-ish than yeah. than what 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 I would class as you know proper proper medieval stuff. Some of the, some of the weapons are a little bit elaborated, you know, like serrated swords and, and they had this <laughs> yeah. this like Iron Maiden thing with lots of nasty bits. So and this guy showed up with a machine bit, gun. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. You know, like oh that's a that's an interesting weapon. I've never seen one like that. I don't even yeah. know how they would possibly have made that in the 1300s. You know, it's such a, a weird shape with lots of nice intricate little bits and bobs. That how the hell would they have made that? They'd have just made a massive big broadsword. You know. So yeah. yeah so, but it was generally generally on the whole, it was pretty good. Um, Sharon, I don't know if you remember much about it because I guess it was what year would it have been? Sort of. 10 years ago something like that I've... all of that yes i watched it at the time um i do remember it. i remember obviously the the elements that yeah they're going to this to find out and then there's elements about the monk and then there's elements about why this particular area has been not been affected and then certain things i remember certain scenes they have a, a scene where all the mercenaries I, I was i in my head i thought he might have been a templar knight or something like that or He'd had something to do with the Templars, but maybe I'm wrong because that's. I'm not sure if well, it's yeah, the right no, time I don't, frame. I, I don't think any of these are particularly. Well, well it, it, it is because yeah. one of the things that you say about about the films, the way you mention it, because there was a period of time where there was a British action medieval movie glut that happened in the yeah. wake of Lord of the Rings. 
there, I know that there, there is one that's about the Knights Templars defending like some castle. I think Sean. Oh, that's watching... brilliant. That's, Iron yeah, yeah, I've watched that. It's one of yes, my Iron Clad, yeah. One of, yeah, one of my favorite stuff. movie. Yeah, so one yeah, of my so favorite he was a Knight Templar in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I know, I, know, I know there was Ironclad, and I know that there was Black Death, and I know there were all these films that would have like maybe one really big recognizable star, and then you would surround them yeah. with a whole bunch of British character actors who usually get to play, oh, that bad guy over there. Yeah. <laughs> bad guy number one. Yeah. And, um, one does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yeah. That, that kind of thing. And I think obviously they said that Eddie Redmayne, this was before Eddie Redmayne became Eddie Redmayne and could yeah, still yeah. do, and uh, was still doing British films. So <laughs> it's, uh, so yeah, I, I remember that there was a glut of them and they sort of like came out and they would come into the cinema. They wouldn't do much. They're, they're the kind of films that we're probably going to get in cinemas now because they're going to be like, quick, there's no blockbuster yeah. around. We only spent five million. We can recoup that. <laughs> if we're the <laughs> only game in town, yeah. we can recoup five million. <laughs> so it's, yeah. yeah, so so so, so what did you think of the film then? Like, uh, if you're going to give it a star, um, a star rating. If I was to give this a star rating, I'd say, yeah, I mean, uh, it would be a three star. It would be like you said, it would be probably one of those, you know, films that were churned out like, you know, uh, I don't know. What was it? There were some Roman ones at about the same time, weren't there? Like the Eagle and oh, Centurion the Eagle, and yes. all those. Yeah. And Centurions. Now, see, I really like Centurions. Centurion, the Eagle, that was a good so film as well. Yeah. Yeah. Centurion was good. Uh, but this is, it's pretty standard fare. There's nothing really new in it. And um, it's just like, you know, a little, uh, an adventure. It's like, I guess you could call it the Fellowship of the Rings, but it was the Fellowship of finding the village to find out what's, <laughs> what's what's going on. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was. It looked it looked straight out of out of Lord of the Rings to me. Oh, you know, Lord of the Rings with a little with less a, money, with a little less money, and you know trying to. But the the scenes at the beginning with the pestilence and uh, was 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 okay. But I'll, I won't give this a solid three stars. So it'd be three stars. Nothing special. Yeah. But but not te- you know not really bad. Yeah, I'm waiting for all the action movies they're going to make that are set during COVID. There's yeah, <laughs> that's going to no, be strange, isn't it? It's going to be strange. Yeah, and, and you know that the, you know at the moment Zack Snyder's making uh he's making a film. It's a something of the dead. I think uh it's something of the dead, but I can't remember what the something is. Uh, but it, the whole idea is that uh, there's a zombie apocalypse and during that some guys decide that everybody's left Las Vegas but there's all this money that they've left in the casinos in Las Vegas so they decide to go yeah. to Las Vegas during a, a zombie apocalypse and rob the banks or ro- rob, oh, the, okay. rob the casinos oh that sounds good yeah it, it sounds that good that would do them a lot of good in an apocalypse <laughs> well uh, yeah we'll, we'll see yeah, but I, need, re- I reckon that there's going to be things you need a lot of money in an apocalypse no wonder what? Just the excitement, probably, probably just the excitement of it. I expect, just yeah. People wanting to be, you know, the excitement of, of like, we can actually go and hold all this money, even though we probably can't do a lot with it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Okay, and now we go back to cinema and we talk about a film called Broken Hearts Gallery. Now, Sharon, seeing as you ran away from a film after for those reasons, this seems like it might have some of the similar pitfalls. So that's just my prejudice speaking with a title like Broken Hearts Gallery. So tell us, what's this about? Yes, I mean, I tend to view this sort of film with a bit of suspicion. But I thought, well, I, I could almost guarantee... Uh, that neither of you gentlemen would go to see this film, so I thought I will go and see it. Yeah, I actually, I was, I was <laughs> actually planning be. because for a while before <laughs> b- before I got the email saying Bill and Ted Face the Music was out, this was like the only thing I 
thought, well, maybe I've got to go see something. I'll go. Yeah. So I was planning to go see it, but then I ran out of time. <laughs> yes, it, there, it, it could have easily fought. It did have some of the tropes that you expect in some of these films, but it recognised that this was a trope that you would see in romantic comedies. So oh, in yeah. some ways it was aware uh, that this was playing into that whole the whole genre but the basic i'll explain what that is in a second the 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 premise of this this film is um this young woman she's in her mid to late 20s she's 26 27 and she's sort of got her dream job she's working as a as an assistant curator in a in a swanky new york gallery mm. um but even though she's sort of doing her dream job she's still living in her student house with her two best friends where she's basically got her own room and they're in this shared little, quite a small flat. And her relationships have basically been following the same pattern since she was at university. So the last sort of 10 years of her dating life, she's had like these relationships that have failed. And she's almost basically made a little shrine to that fallen relationship. And mm. in her, her own space, she has this sort of, she charts the course of her life and the course of her relationships by the things that she gathers. And she's a compulsive collector of things so like some of us you know when we go to a theatre or we may go to a concert we may keep our theatre tickets and go oh that's a oh, yeah, lovely yeah, yeah, yeah. and my some of my theatre tickets have become like bookmarks and sometimes I think do I really need to know that I went to this show in 1985 no it's time to let that go but she doesn't let that go she keeps all of these things and some of these things are really random like it could be the the candle holder from the restaurant that she's swiped or it could be like be a napkin it could be a plastic fork it's yeah. trivia and it's stuff that on the surface it has no meaning but for her it's sort of is, is mapping her life by these incidental this stuff that she's yeah. accumulated yeah and she's just come at the end of this horrible relationship and she's started to wear this guy's tie of her former boyfriend and she she's a bit down and she gets horribly drunk at a very public event and she loses her job. No mm. spoiler, really, because it's right at the beginning. And she calls her Uber to come and pick her up. And she basically gets into this car and says, okay, you, you know, take me to this place. And the guy says, no, 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 no. Get out of my car. I'm not your Uber driver. Because she's so drunk, she just doesn't register that he's saying. And so in the end, he feels sorry for her. So he does take her home. And this is like the start of like their sort of relationship where they get to know each other. She... Um, he runs into her again by not by accident later on we find out and she has got so depressed over this religion that she's taken to wearing this guy's tie yeah around her former boyfriend's tie and so to cut a long story short this guy the guy she meets is building his own hotel bit by bit in a very shoestring budget and there's part of the hotel where she basically he's showing her around and she pins the tie to the wall and she scrolls next to it you know this is on this day I broke up with Max and this is like the symbol of my broken heart yeah and then the next day he comes in and he sees that someone else has pinned a map to the wall saying on this day this was a the, the, the mark the end of my relationship and and as word gets out people begin dropping off things that symbolize ah. their broken heart ah, and so it what starts off as like this random thing becomes uh, the start of a new passion in life. She's a museum curator. So yeah. she decides to cu curate these items and she makes these videos of everyone who comes in with this item and they say, okay, tell me the story of your item. And one of them is a lady with a, cu a 
cast from a leg, a broken leg cast with all the writing on it. And she says, I've kept this for five years. And then she talks about <laughs> what it symbolizes her relationship and by letting it go. It's a next step in healing of their journeys. So each item in the gallery has a story attached. It's a, it, it's, it sounds like this film is a bit of like, you know, it's hoarders propaganda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it absolutely is about sort of the, the significance of things. And you when you first, but then as the story progresses, and I won't tell you why, um, you be, there's, a, there's a reason why she became a, a gatherer of these things, a collector of these this minutiae. There's a there's a reason for it, and you understand that reason later. So you can understand why it was hard for her to let go of some of this stuff. Okay. And for other people, they keep things that symbolise different parts of relationships of past days. Mm. I've got to be honest with you, Sharon. You have intrigued me, and I do think that this does sound like a little bit... It sounds a, a cut above your usual sort of romantic comedy, which is what I expect this to be. So, yes. uh, yeah. so, but, but you're the one who's seen it, and so you can, you're the one who can tell us whether it is actually a cut above. How many stars would you give it? I would say yes, it was a cut above. It is aware of what romantic comedies do. It's aware of the different tropes. So there's certain scenes in it where you're thinking, yeah, you've watched while you were sleeping. You've watched all these other, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's aware of that. So, to me, I think nods to you for that so i thought he has a cut above the standard and i like the fact that she was like normal to me she looked normal she was like she wasn't super skinny super fit super glam she looked like someone you would be friends with and her friends were saying they're a bit kooky but again you think you can understand how these relationships so be yeah i thought it's a cut above the normal i would give it a high three i don't think it quite goes up to a four because but it, it to me it was a it was a high three. So I, if we gave half points, I'd give it a three and a half or a three point eight. But I, to me, it's just short of that four. You know, sort of passing that threshold. So I'd say I really liked it. Didn't love it. I didn't think it was amazing. But I would say I really liked it. So I would give it a strong, strong three. All right, cool. You know, seen as maybe, well, maybe. Yeah, Karen, sure. Maybe, maybe we should start. Maybe we should start doing decimal places just to make more life more <laughs> difficult for you. Tony. Although I'm sure you cope with it. But, um, you know, but, you know, sure, sure. I was, I was just about to say. I was like, well, you know, this pandemic is messing everything up. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So yes, three point five, three point five for Broken Hearts Gallery. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it cut above your standard three. But not I, I really like to the floor. Yeah, Sean, Sean, you were saying? I mean, I, I, I yes, I was just saying, I really enjoyed a film called 500 Days of Summer. Oh, that's, that? oh yeah. that is, that is like my wife's favorite film. That is, yeah. Yeah, is, I really, really enjoyed that. Film, yeah. So, so this Jason sounds Gordon like a Levin. film that, this sounds like a film that, that perhaps I should watch it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I might, I might try and catch this one if there's not a lot else on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think, I think I probably will as well. All right, thank you, Sharon. And now we go back to Netflix and Friends. We go back home and some something that we watched. Uh, and this is me. I watched something called The Australian Dream. So in the last couple of weeks, we've been commenting on the fact that we seem to just keep being drawn towards cinema from that area of the world, from Australia, New Zealand. We seem to keep going. And I seem to keep getting drawn towards films that make me think Australia is a terrible place I never want to go to. So... <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's not all neighbours, is it? <laughs> yeah, it it, it, uh, it really is. So, I mean, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, I saw Nightingale, which is all about um, how well, what happened to the Aboriginal... Essentially, it starts off as one thing, and then it ends up being about what happened to the Aboriginal people when Europeans showed up in Australia, which is horrific. 
And the Australian dream could be like, you know, a sequel to that made 200 years later or whatever it is. Because it's a documentary. This, uh, this was on BBC iPlayer. It's a documentary about uh, an Aussie rules football player called Adam Goods. Who, uh, this is, and this was a massive story in Australia. It was a massive story in Australia. He is of Aboriginal de- descent. He's, I think he, he says his dad was Irish. His, um, what was it, Scottish? I can't remember. Uh, hence the goods. And his mum was, uh, was from one of the Aboriginal tribes. And he was playing uh, in in the in the football league one uh, in a game and it wasn't a big game they have some they have, at the beginning of their league they have this thing called the aboriginal round which which honors aboriginal culture and honors the fact that these people were here before anybody else and it, it seeks to do that and in some way so make and that's the whole idea behind it and he was playing in this and when he was playing he had somebody hurl a racial insult at him and he he had someone here racially, and he immediately just went and because this guy was like the biggest name, it was kind of like the Ronaldo of Australian rules football. Like everybody said, this guy is the best player ever. He is amazing. He's won the best player of the year like twice, which nobody does. And so this one, somebody yells at him, and he just sort of like turns and he just points at the person. And there's this sort of like almost iconic picture that this that the whole thing picks up. I know nothing about I know nothing about Australian rules football and. Immediately, this picture is iconic to me, which is him standing there, pointing at the stands and saying something. And he essentially, and he essentially just points and he yells at the stewards. They just called me this. They just called me. It's it's a, essentially they called him an effing ape. And and he and he goes, I want them out. Then when he, after he points, like he's immediately he's like, I want them out. He realizes that it's a thirteen year old girl who said that to him. So. But he still goes no. It's like he's like no. Look, racism is racism. Wanna and so she goes out, and it becomes this whole thing, and it's like one of these. Uh, it's it's quite a poetic film because it was written. It, this was written, and this documentary was put together by a writer who is of Aboriginal descent, and he's like you know he he's a journalist and every and you can see from the beginning from the word go there's this lyrical theme to the film, and he talks about how sports has a has a habit of going to the heart of a nation, and this whole incident just reveals the it reveals what people really hold important because after a while this guy says i was racially abused and a large part of the country turns on him and they turn on him and they say how dare you do that what the hell's wrong with you there's people going on tv and they're just commentating and like like absolutely out in the open going against this guy and he and he comes across as quite a reasonable reasoned trying to make his points measured everything like that and there's the uh, he gets to the point where every single game he goes to there's just booing people just boo him constantly for the entire match they don't they just boo the guy and it it's it makes you think oh my god australia is a really really bad place and australia has some real real racial problems that are not put to the fore but i think it's a brilliant film i think it's a brilliant film i think anybody one of my friends who lives in australia jenny austin she she lives she's english but she works out there and she says that her her company last year when this was released in 2019 actually paid for everybody in the company to go watch this film because they were like this is a real key important film for us in australia for what we have to do and for how far we have to go in australia i thought it was brilliant i thought the way they put it together Obviously, the people who put the film thought that he was in the right and all the people who were arguing against yeah. him were in the wrong. And I personally find it hard to think how you could have come to go to any other because there, there's a scene and there's a scene and 
where so imagine something like a question of sport like a tv show like a question of sport or match of the day or something like that and they go about the history of racism in australia rooms football and there was a player called nicky wingard who in the 80s he was being abused because he was one of two Aboriginal players on the field. And he has this iconic picture. And they say in Australia, it's the, it's the equivalent of, you know, the Black Power salute at the, was it the 1968 Olympics? It's the equivalent the Olympics, of, yeah. yeah, it's the equivalent of that, where he's essentially standing there in front of this thousands of people. And he lifts up his shirt and points at his skin to say, like, look, this is me. This is my color. And I'm proud. And the way he says, I'm black and I'm proud. And, um... And so because of everything that comes to him from that, he doesn't go on a TV show. And there's a scene where one of the hosts of this show. So imagine it's imagine it's match of the day and imagine Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine Gary Lineker goes goes off goes off screen and comes back off with shoe polish on his face. And oh. says and says, well, he wouldn't come on our show. So don't worry. Just interview me. This is me. I'm him. This was on national television in Australia. And they thought it was oh, OK. They thought it was okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I was watching this thing and I was like, I cannot believe what I am watching. Yeah, I cannot I believe what I am watching. So I thought, I think it's brilliant. I think everybody, sh- I, I, well, I'll say I think everybody should watch it. Obviously, I have skin in the game. Uh, skin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the game. Uh, so I think it's brilliant. I think it's a four out of five. It is very, li- I think it's a documentary that you can see is very, it's, it's a constructed documentary. These people have constructed this thing for maximum lyrical, poetic b- bash. And that's why it's called The Australian Dream because there's a bit where the, the journalist stands something. I can't remember. Yeah, the journalist, he, he, he talks about The Australian Dream and he says that once we heard people booing Adam Goods, we in the Aboriginal community, we heard the sound of The Australian Dream and it says, you are not welcome. And it's, mm. it is such a good film. I absolutely loved it. And I would recommend, go find it on BBC iPlayer before it disappears. On iPlayer. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it might make you hate Australia, but it's a good film. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, cool. And uh, now we... How many we... stars? Um, four, four stars. stars? Four. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you gave it a four star. Yeah, it's, oh, a, I it's a four. It's, it's, a, it's a died in all four. It's... It, uh, it would be, quite frankly, it would be a five. It wasn't for the fact that towards the end, I feel like it starts becoming a bit contrived and you can see the, almost like, this is the point we're trying to make and we're going to hammer it home. And it becomes less about the, it, I feel like it becomes less about the football player who everything happened to and more about the journalist who wants to tell this story. Right. So, yeah, so so if not, it would be a died in all five. But it's it's a brilliant, brilliant film. All right, cool. And now we go back to cinemas and we talk about talking about films that were made in that area of the world. Savage. So (laughs) Savage. Yes. Yeah. Savage. This is um, I went to see this movie. I was was intrigued by it. It's basically um, a film about America, American, New Zealand gangs, gangs and the gang culture in New Zealand. Yep. It starts off with um, this this character and he's called Savage and he's a member of these this this sort of like almost like hell's out i guess you call them hell's angels they got like the colors yeah they're actually they're, they're actually called savages and but you've got this one guy who's got tattoos on his face and it starts off he's he's what you call a sergeant of the gang he's like the um i guess you'd call him the any trouble he's the one that sorts it out you know he's a sort of a nasty one so there's this this scene at the very beginning where he calls one of the members in and says you know if you you're, you're out of order and all that and he does something pretty violent with the hammer it doesn't kill him but um, so that's so it's, it's, it's that hence being an 18 so and then it's the story then it so that's how it sort of starts off and then it flashes back 
to his childhood and he comes from from a fairly big family and he's his, his father's a bit abusive you know physically abusive to the family and he sort of protects the family in a little way but he loves his mother his mother's really 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 you know obviously really really likes and cares for him but it's just got this domineering father anyway he mm. decides to go out to he, he calls a bit he wants to get some food so he so he breaks into a place he gets caught he ends up going to this ball stall um and there's some shall we say a few predatory officials that aren't particularly nice 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 to him and uh, but he makes friends with this this funny enough uh, a maori a maori um mm-hmm. a maori boy called moses and they sort of they sort of form an affinity and they they attack one of the guards um and anyway and then so so you've got that story of of, of his formative years and then he comes out and they decide to form this little gang but when he comes out, he keeps going home, and he never actually goes to see his family. But he puts a little little notch on the post for every goes to see him once every year. And so then it goes to like like teenage time, 1970s, and his his brother. He's got a brother. He's got his older brother. He got him really well with earlier on, who's, yep. who's in, in in another gang, and he's torn between the two. Um, so and and there's a big incident between the two gangs, and he ends up becoming. The, this, this savage thing and then it goes on to later days really where he's he's trying to find a little bit of redemption i guess so yeah. and although he's he's quite a nasty mean character he's still got a little bit of humanity there he's got a little bit of humanity that will um you know that that that, that you he, hope will redeem you can him. see it there because he, he you know like, like yeah there's like a young gang member that gets a bit bullied and all that but he sort of helps him takes him under you know protects him protects him through as much as he can without trying to seem seem weak you know yeah and then it and then there's a bit of conflict between moses and he says you know if you he says if you don't want to be the sergeant i'm not you know i'm never ever going to speak to you again and all that so you've got all this this sort of conflict you know so yeah it's it's, it's a really thought-provoking story um hmm. and i thought yeah really really quite thought-provoking it was it was it wasn't what i expected it, you know i was expected to be quite sort of gangy violence and and although that is in there there's a lot of a lot of uh, what should we say a lot of you can understand coming from the family he did and the background and then going to Borstal how he became what he was you know you know when he became an adult sort of thing and this this really I mean I guess if you've been bullied and you've experienced violence and all things like that you end up becoming you know that sort yeah. of person but yeah. I, I, sh- I should imagine it's based on a on a sort of true story of the gangs you know maybe a bit of gang warfare so yeah, I, I I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a little little bit too long. I mean, I did find it, even though it's quite a short film. I did. There, I was thinking, you know, perhaps perhaps we could move this on a little bit quicker. Because <laughs> as I say, the scenes where he visits his family and puts a notch on the posts and that, I think, was, you know, that they, they were sort of extended a little bit. They were because yeah, it was like yeah. a, you know long walk up. But maybe that was to give you time to think. So, but. Um, yeah, I must say that I, I, yeah, I didn't mind this film. I thought it was quite good. It wasn't what I expected. Um, as I say, I'd probably give it a, I'd probably have to give this a four. You know, I'd probably, I was, I was trying to work it out. I've been thinking about it the past couple of days, and I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe only a three because of that little bit of length. But thinking about it, having had time to think about it and digest it and all that, I, I, I think this is worth a four. So, so it sounds like it actually stayed, it stayed with you, like stays with you. Yeah, yeah, it saved me. As I say, I'm still, still sort of thinking about it, you know. And it, it came across as, as I say, like, like the Borstal times. I mean, I guess it must have been 60s, 70s. It was, you know, you can, 
I don't know if you ever, you've probably never seen the film Scum. I'm sure Sharon's seen Scum. I mean, right I know, I, I long, long time ago. I, I've heard long of it. I've seen posters. Yeah. I've seen clips. I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, the Borstal regime was uh, not a particularly nice, caring place. It was, you know, lots of bullying, lots of, and you can understand how that can actually, well, I guess someone can become brutalized and they actually, yeah. you know, become yeah. quite aggressive and nasty themselves, you know. It became so, a byword. But yeah, for no, I did this. Brutality and bullying. It That's did. Just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean I've got a, a little mole here, right? Little mole. And, Sean um, is pointing to his forehead for those who listen to the audio yeah. only version. I'm asked, I've been asked on three <laughs> occasions, I've been asked on numerous occasions, that, well, I've been said, they said, oh, what ball stool did you go to? And I'm like, hey, I've never ever been to one. And they go, oh, because apparently they'd be like they've got these little, little dark dot tattoos of someone, you know. But anyway, oh, mine's wow. just sort of in my eyebrow. So, so that's, that's that was bizarre. I said, no, I, I said I've never never been, you know. But so it just shows you, doesn't it, really? So, yeah. 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 Well, so you never know, Sean. Maybe. Yeah, that, anyway, that that might be that might get you out of a couple of scripts. People are like, oh, don't mess with him. Oh, he's been to a Borstal. Yeah, fake. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was thinking. You know, maybe I should say that. Yeah. He can yeah, read. I mean, it's people. Tattoos. Most of the people that most of yeah most of the people that that um uh, have, have asked me that have been like oh oh should we say the, the, oh, they oh. look dodgy they look nefarious you know like, you know bronk yeah. and tank and all that sort of, you know but so yeah but yeah. No, that's, yeah, so, that's an exaggeration, but it's that sort of people that say it. You know, you could imagine, oh yeah, you probably might have done a few, yeah, a few things in your time. You know, so, but yeah, okay. so, so right. yeah, like you say, it may get me out of some situation. It's interesting. <laughs> cool, so savage. You'll be Four looking for that now, won't you? Now, next next time you see me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it next time we see Sean we're going to be looking for Sean's E.T. finger and, and his, <laughs> his Sean's E.T. finger his, his oh. borstal tattoo because uh, okay now the, 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 you know, and because I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to cut out the E.T. finger from this if anybody is wondering what on earth are they talking about with Sean's E.T. finger I will put a video snippet of this up on our Facebook page and our Twitter page <laughs> so you can actually have a look and then you understand what we talk about when we talk about Sean's E.T. finger <laughs> 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 All right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, moving on. Now we go to a final film. This is back in back in Netflix territory. Uh, no, they're Netflix and Friends, and this is Des. So, Sharon, you went to see you? No, not you. Well, you sat at home and saw something called Des, and you said on ITV Hub, was it? Yeah, this was an ITV Hub exclusive. So, this was a three-part drama that ITV have commissioned. But instead of it being broadcast on the television first and then going on to the the hub so you could view it catch up they they debuted it straight onto the itv hub and mm. they released one episode a night over three nights so i think they're trying to sort of boost their their hub audience as well as maybe trying to promote britbox but anyway des is a three-part drama based on the arrest of notorious mass murderer serial killer uh dennis nielsen in the early to mid 1980s so anyone oh this is the david tennant thing david tennant ah oh yeah yeah david okay. tennant plays dennis nielsen and dennis nielsen he's to all his friends such friends as he had he didn't have many he had acquaintances um he was always said call me des so that's why it's called des because he's that's how he was identified himself mm. and basically dennis nielsen was in the late 70s early 1980s he was responsible, they believe, 
for the murder of 15 young men and the attempted murder of seven or eight others. Mm. And at the beginning, and he was discovered, first of all, when they found human remains clogging up his drains. Oh, good Lord. And Dino Rod Man <laughs> came around and was poking about and he hooked all this stuff out and he went, hello, those look like finger bones. And that looks to me like it could be human flesh. So they called the police in. It would take one look at it and go, hello. <laughs> that looks a bit dodgy to me. So they go up and they say, where did this, where does this drain enter, empty into? And basically it says it comes from the top four flats. So they go up there and they speak to the householder and they're immediately aware of a very strong smell. And they arrest, they, they, they talk to him about it. Basically, they arrest him on suspicion of murder because they find these body parts. And he says, no, we, we know that there are body parts in your house. You know, can you tell us if there is how many murders we're looking at here? Is there one part? They're thinking of one or two because they find some dismembered body parts. And he says, oh, I think about 15. And he admits it more or less straight away that, that he has been killing these young men. And that's basically where, so the first part is basically when they're investigating the murders. Uh, the second part is when they're trying to identify the victims and try to work out what happened to them. And the third part is the trial. And so it's large, it's based on the uh, the investigation of the murders. Plus, he the only, the only he only had one visitor throughout the time, the entire time he was in prison the first full number of years and that was his biographer he wasn't interested he didn't have any friends he had family he had brothers and sisters but he was estranged from them all and yeah. the only visit he had was a man he contacted to become his biographer and so this guy you see his notes that he took the copious notes that he took um were based so this is based on that and so yes it looks into the series of killings that were done by Dennis Nilsson and it's played by Dennis Nilsson is played by David Tennant extraordinary he does look yeah, the pictures I, you see pictures I, of the real Dennis I, I saw I saw the pictures I saw that the, like there was a picture that they had of Dennis Nilsson they recreated it with David Tennant beside side by side yeah. in in like a, an online article and it is uncanny yeah. it is it is actually quite scary yeah, because he was Scottish. Dennis Nilsson was Scottish, and so he's changed his natural accent to more of an Argyllshire accent. Uh, yeah. But he's got the accent there as well. And then you've got um, Daniel Mays plays the DCI who's investigating it, the detective chief inspector. And then there's another. There's various other. And then amazing. I'm trying to think what is Justin Watkins plays the biographer, and he's always extraordinary in whatever film he's in. He's extraordinary, and he is compulsive in this. And so it deals with the yeah the, the gruesome nature of the crimes because he would befriend young men often homeless often um disenfranchised so they were drug out sometimes they were drunk sometimes they were just lonely and also he was homosexual and so would sometimes he would they'd be homosexual but not always it was no there was no sort of he had a type of a mm. certain young man that he was attracted to um and then he would invite them back to his flat and basically he would strangle them and then keep the bodies for a long time. He'd bathe them, he'd dress them up, he'd sit them around different places in the house. And oh, then when he was, Lord. when they started to decompose, he then would chop them up into bits. Oh. And in the first house, he would he would burn them in the garden on a bonfire. The... And he'd disguise the smell with a car tire that was on top. I'll tell you what this this is this is a house. this is a cherry cherry end to the podcast this week. Yeah, I know it's not very good. <laughs> and then. then um, but it did remind me of my policing days, actually. That's why I wasn't drawn to it initially, because I, my, I um, became a civilian in the police in 1987. 
and was then there for their 26 years. And so I was involved in a number of murder inquiries over the, those years. We didn't have a lot on the Isle of Wight, to be honest with you. And Dennis that, that's a whole other podcast for a while. <laughs> and so I was interested in how it, because that was the policing world I remember. This was the, the set, in the, set in the mid to late 80s in the, this investigation. And so that was the policing world I remember. So I was interested in that aspect of it, thinking, you know, because we had no, even though the computers were everywhere else, there weren't computers in the police station until the 90s. So we had typewriter, manual typewriters, you had paper indexes, you had handwritten everything. Yeah. So these big murder inquiries were, it was handwritten notes, it was typed up on a manual typewriter and you had a clunky tape recorder if you recorded stuff and so it's interesting that they had the procedural bit for me as recognizable as yeah this was the policing world i knew in the 1980s so, so yeah it was interesting how many stars would you give it i'd give it a, yeah again i think for the performances i'd give it a four for the subject matter i don't like to glamorize i didn't glamorize it in any way possible um and i don't like to draw attention to murders i think you should you should think of the victims and not the murderer. He's the one who is famous, but they're the victims of it. And so they do give prominence to the, the innocent victims of this. Um, so I would say the performances are definite four, definite four. Um, but for the whole drama as a whole, I would give it a three, because still you are drawing attention to a subject matter that I think sometimes these people should be left to die and then they should stay dead and we should forget them. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah, and I agree. It, it is... I think uh, it is a dangerous one to do. It is a dangerous one to do. How do you talk about the crime without glorifying the, the criminal? Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, But the performances uh, were extraordinary. So, yeah, they're all very good. Outstanding. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that you were talking about performances. You were talking about Daniel Mays. And I think Daniel Mays is one of those quietly underrated persons, but people who makes everything he is in a little bit better. I, actually, yeah. I think he's like Jim Broadbent. I think he's like the modern yeah. generation of Jim. Yeah. He can be dropped into this most just completely random sort of films. Fisherman's Friends to a film about Dennis Nielsen. And into yet, Rogue he, One. Rogue One. He he does deliver. So I think he's like this generation's sort of Jim Broadbent. <laughs> yeah. It's a, all right, cool. So thank you very much. We have done three films at the cinema. We have done three films at home. And all that is left is to say who has won this week? Where has our money been better spent? Our money and time. Time, importantly. So yeah. what do you guys reckon? Netflix or cinema this week? Netflix or cinema? Ooh, ooh, uh, again, it's a pretty close run sure. thing. I will go... I'll probably go because Sharon did the three point five. If you're counting the three point five, I'll have to go with Netflix. I think uh, the three point five was in cinema. Yeah. Oh, was it cinema? Oh, right. Okay, yeah. I'll go cinema yeah. then. Well, I think right. cinema I, might just have pipped that, it. That, that, yeah, that point five is the pippa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there oh, is such a word as a pippa. Yeah, as the pippa. All right, cool. So we had Bill and Ted <laughs> face the music with three. We had Black Death with three. Round one, Dead Heat. We had Broken Hearts Gallery with three point five. We had The Australian Dream with four. Netflix pipped it. And then it came down to the final round where we had Savage with four and we had Dez with three, which means that cinema wins this week with 3.5 and Netflix is just right on its tails with 3.3333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333
when Sean, you might go see. What was the other thing that you were saying that you might go see at the cinema with that you? Were... Oh, it's a Javier, but I don't know. Life yes. Less, yes. Life less traveled or something like the, that. The Is lives, it? the lives less traveled. That's it. The lives less traveled. The ha- lives ha- less traveled. Yeah. With with, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and be like you know, all posh, well posh or whatever. Yeah. Or up myself and go Javier, Javier Bardem. That's it. Javier. Sharon, <laughs> if, if you fancy that, I'm pretty good on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday sort of. Uh, Four, between four and five-ish performances are really good yeah. for me because I go straight after work. So if there's one you fancy, I'll give it a, check on what's give happening it, in my domestic world, realm, and I will let you know about that one. Yeah, but that, that, sounds, interesting. that <laughs> sounds interesting. So domestic. Realm. So if anybody is on the Isle of Wight and wants to go to the Sydney World around that time with Sean and Sharon, please do do that. <laughs> but until, <laughs> until next week, it's a goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye for me. And it's a goodbye from me. (laughs) We will see you guys next week. Phone home.